Welcome to Less Than or Equal, the podcast about pursuing equality in geekdom. I'm your host, Aline Sims, and today I am joined by Serenity Caldwell. Serenity, welcome. Hi, it's it's good to be here. Who are you, Serenity? Uh, I am, hey, it's such a question. I'm the managing editor for iOS at imore.com. Um, and outside of that, where I do all sorts of app reviews and how to's and, um, ebooks a little bit, I, uh, I do a bunch of different things. I play roller derby. Uh, I like dabbling in songwriting. I knit. I used to act and direct. I'm on a podcast called the incomparable where we talk about geeky things as well as do radio plays now and then. Uh, it's just kind of, you know, wake up and figure out whatever suits me. I think it's great that you have the opportunity to do like so many little things. Yeah, I, I feel like, you know, I, I was talking with this with a friend the other day. Um, a while back, Glenn Fleischman sent me an article. I don't know if you know Glenn. He's a very funny, funny guy. Um, and he sent me an article about, you know, procrastinators, um, they don't necessarily want to just be bored by nature. They, they actually want to do many, many different things. Um, so the way to fix procrastination is just to have a long list of things to do so mm -hmm. that if you're never like, if you can't focus on one specific task, you have 20 other small, achievable, manageable tasks that you can get done. And then you don't feel like you've just stared at an internet browser looking at cat pictures for 20 minutes you're like yeah well i i didn't get this done but i like organized my house or or i did dishes or i answered email and it, it, so that's that's kind of how i've lived my life um somewhat subconscious like not necessarily realizing actively that i was doing it that way but i feel like that's why i pick up all these different projects is it's a way to just be like oh well i don't have super motivation to do this well i'm gonna focus on this thing instead so you have options Exactly. Yeah, I am. I am a master procrastinator. I'm, I'm a writer. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, like, that's what we do. <laughs> yep. It's, it's very, very, um, like, it's a stereotype for a reason in this case, because every <laughs> writer I know is just like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I, I didn't write the thousand words that I wanted to write today. But man, my bathroom is sparkling clean. <laughs> I'm just like, you are my people. Yep. So, um, so I really wanted to talk to you first about roller derby because sure. it's such a cool sport that I think is starting to gain, like get more like awareness that Traction, it's something, yeah. yeah, that like this is actually something that exists. <laughs> um, but I, I was thinking about it this morning because I knew I wanted to talk to you about this a little bit, but I wasn't really aware that roller derby was still a popular thing that that people did. And there was like an organization for it until probably like three years ago. Mm -hmm. And, um, I had a friend made a friend who went to the Phoenix roller derby, um, and had friends on the team. How did you get involved in roller derby? And when did that happen? Um, it was entirely by accident. It was, um, so back in, um, back in 2010, uh, I, my entire life kind of went flip side because that was that was the year that I basically decided that I didn't want to pursue a career in theater and film. Um, and as such, my great big plans for the future had kind of all collapsed. So I was like, um, what do I do now? Um, and it turns out that the what did I, what do I want to do now was uh, was tech writing. Um, and then while I was while I was tech writing, as as you probably know, being a writer, uh, you sit a lot and uh, and end up being stationary. Whereas um, theater is a is a pretty you know you you have your moments of table reads and sitting around, but um but I was always doing like a variety of active jobs, so I was constantly on my feet, and I did movement based theater a lot in college, and it was something that I was very interested in. So I was I was constantly like exercising without necessarily actively going to the gym, and when I cut off all of that and I stopped being on film sets and I stopped, you know, doing experimental theater and, and movement and stuff like that, I found that I was, um, that I wasn't really doing anything. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I'm not an, I'm not an athlete, but at the same time, I don't like, I'm, I'm one of those people where if I, if I stay stationary for too long, I will just devolve into like a puddle of blub. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> and I just like the, not even, not even like gain massive amounts of weight, just like 
just you you start to feel lethargic and you start to you know not not feel like yourself when you don't leave the house yeah it's kind of like inertia you know like yeah. if you're going you can keep going but once you stop it's really hard to get started again exactly yeah. and you're like i just I, I just don't have the energy to move to the kitchen today and like at that point where i was just i i was just not feeling very well and being like all right i i gotta fix this and um at the same time i had a friend who was doing men's roller derby of all things which which is a thing oh. um and uh he was like you've got to come see a game and I had seen, I think, Whip It uh, the, the, that summer. And I'm like, this is really, this is really a cube movie. Um, roller Derby looks very violent, but this is a very <laughs> cute movie. And so I go see my friend, my friend Jeff's uh, game, which happened to be a double header with their women's league. So the women played a half and then the men played a half um, against another men's team. And then the women played another half and the men played another half. It was all very... Very silly, but it was all flat on the flat track. So roller derby can be played on on two different surfaces, banked, which is what you see in Whip It with the curves and the you know the, the thirty thousand dollar track, and flat track, which can basically be played on any flat space where there's about a hundred square feet of um, of uh, open space without poles. So they were playing it in an old uh, de-iced ice rink. Um, and it, you know, it was, it was very DIY. The tape was like neon pink. Um, and the, the referees were wearing like crazy things. Um, and the skater, like this was still in the point where the skaters were wearing tutus, but <laughs> even, even during like watching the, the women play and then the men play, like you could tell that even though the, the aesthetics, the outer aesthetics were completely ridiculous, um, the actual gameplay was very fierce, very athletic, um, very focused. Like those, the, the ladies and the guys who are out there doing that and, um, they do it separately. It's not a co-ed sport. Um, they were, they were really, they were really passionate and really engaged in what they were doing. And they also looked like they were having a lot of fun. And, um, I was still like, eh, violent, I'm getting knocked to the ground. I don't want to do that. But I was like, Hey, I bet I could relearn to to skate because I I had ice skated as a kid for for years. My sister actually was quite quite good for a very long time and went to a whole smatterings of championships and things, including junior nationals, uh, before she had a foot injury. But while she was doing sort of this competitive track, I was goofing around on on ice skates and like trying to race through public sessions and dodge little kids and, you know, just <laughs> generally be a goofball. Uh -huh. um, and when I saw Derby, I was kind of like, oh, man, it's like everything I did as a kid on ice skates only, you know, with adults and and quads, you know, the quads skates, which are sort of the four, the two wheels side by side rather than inline skates with the four wheels all in a on a line. So I'm like, well, all right, the roller derby thing is probably too much for me, but, um, I can just, you know, I'm going to pick up, a, I'm going to buy a pair of skates and I'm just, I'm just going to skate. I'm going to go roller skating. I'm going to just take time out of my day to learn how to skate again, because I really liked skating and skating is fun. So I went to, um, I went to the local rink in Western Mass and I just started skating three or four times a week. And I was a complete doofus for the first like two sessions because like I hadn't put on skates, ice skates or roller in like seven years. Mm -hmm. So I was falling all over myself. Um, but like I it came back, the basics came back and then I started doing more and more crazy things. I started like relearning how to transition and relearning how to jump and relearning how to, you know, run on, run on toe stops, which was a completely new thing because, you know, when, uh, ice skates, you've got toe picks, you're not really running so much on your toe picks. Um, mm -hmm. and there's not really a point to running on your toe picks and, uh, inline skates, your stops are in your heels. So you're not necessarily going to like high toe it on your heels. Uh, but, but roller skates had the, these front toe stops. So I, I really started experimenting with the toe stops and being like, this is really fun. And like dancing and, and twirling around on them and just being, a, again, being a total doofus <laughs> on roller skates, but it was, it was fun. fun so, yeah, exactly. And I was getting out of the house and like, I had, I had purpose beyond what I was doing, um, inside, which gave me like a nice sort of a nice balance between the stationary work and the, the active work. So, um, after about a year of that, I ended up moving to San Francisco 
And I stopped skating for a little bit and finally picked it up when my life had kind of settled. And this time, instead of just going to a random roller rink, um, the roller rinks in San Francisco are all 20, 30 minutes south of the city. And at the time, I didn't have a car. But uh, there was a roller derby league uh, called the Bay Area Derby Girls that did a recreational roller skating program. So their their goal there was like basically teach you how to roller skate safely and have play like some of the basic fundamentals of roller derby. And you don't have to play roller derby if you don't want to, but it's a good kind of like it was like a, a guidance course into the into the strange, mysterious land of roller derby. And I did that for about six months and really, really enjoyed it and just had a complete blast until my coach basically publicly shamed me in front of everybody and was oh, no. like, there, there are tryouts in January and Serenity's trying out and, <laughs> um, and who else is trying out? And I came up to her after I'm like, I'm not trying out. I don't want to play roller derby. And she's like, no, if you don't try out, I will be very mad at you. You have to like, you need to try out. So I was like, okay, fine, fine. I'll do it. Um, with some begrudgingness, uh, and, um, I did and was totally hooked the second that I actually started. Like, I, we had done, like, some baby scrimmages, and that was really fun. But I still kind of held this thing in my head being like, oh, it's too, you know, there's it's too much, too much for me. I don't really want to get hit. I don't like, you know, throwing hits. I just want to, like, dodge around people. And the second I started playing roller derby actively, I was like, oh, never mind. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's, there's something about being on the track. I was talking about this with, uh, with Mike Hurley the other day. It's like, there's something about it when you get on the track where you, you become a completely different person. And it's not like your normal personality goes away. It's just, you, you get into a weird sort of zone. And I feel it's similar to like what runners describe um, or sprinters where you just, everything kind of hollows out and you're able to see the world super wide and feel everything around you. Like, I kind of feel like how this might be if you like reject into the matrix or something where it's like <laughs> your, your senses are all extra heightened and it becomes like a really, I feel a lot more confident and willing to execute things when I'm skating than I ever did in my day-to-day -day life. And I'm, you know, I, I would consider myself a fairly decently spoke, like well-spoken person and, and able to conduct myself in conversations, but I was never the person who was, you know, actively, you know, I, I would avoid trying to do meetings and mm -hmm. things like that. It's just, it wasn't my, it wasn't my deal. Um, I didn't, I didn't really want to be an authority figure. Um, although I did like teaching, I just, I didn't have that sort of confidence and, and Derby really, really gave it to me to the point where, um, after a, a year of doing it, uh, in San Francisco and then in Massachusetts, I started coaching and that, that was the thing that I really fell in love with. It's like, I love to skate and roller skating is like, and playing derby is, is one of my favorite things to do, but I love coaching newer girls almost as much, if not more, where it's like, being able to break down a skill for somebody and have them have like get have them get the same magic in their eyes that I did when I first started it it's it's such an exciting empowering experience both for them and for me uh, just like knowing that you have the power to shape someone's happiness and their enjoyment of a sport is is so amazing and like being able to do that is just incredible so why do you think it's it's something that is so appealing to people as, as they're women, especially, I guess, as they're starting to, to catch on to it. And why do you think it's a confidence booster for you? Well, I think in general, it's a, it's a very safe space for people to experiment. Um, I feel like the people who, who end up at, in roller derby, um, and it's, they're women of all age ranges. Like we have our, I think our oldest skater at, at Boston is, um, is in her forties or fifties has three kids and is a complete badass on the track, which is ridiculous. But like, and then our youngest skater is 18 and we have a juniors league too. But like, I think what attracts people to the sport is it really is a quirky independent sort of thing where the people who show up to it aren't necessarily all punks or all, you know, rockers or alternative folks, but there, there is a sort of other that's attached to everybody who, who comes, or it's just like looking for a community, looking for a tribe, um, looking for something, something more than what the world has to offer. Um, and that could be, you know, 
that could be you just you've you've gotten stuck in a dead end job and you just you don't find anybody you connect with that could be in my circumstance where it was like I changed my entire career and I like I I wanted something to to be passionate about again um it's everybody comes to the sport for different reasons and gets caught on it for different reasons but when when you come there's just such an acceptance like it better, you know, I, I was always very, very wary of a sports and B women's sports, uh, growing up my entire life. Cause I, I played softball a little bit, um, as a teenager and felt like a complete outcast, despite the fact that like I was a good pitcher, but, um, but the people, the, the girls there, I mean, teenagers are mean, mm-hmm. um, but especially mean to like the other, right. Mm-hmm. They're like, if you don't, exactly fit into the jock stereotype or the popular stereotype on a, on a sports team, you're, you're gone and you're made fun of mm-hmm. or something, you know, there's, there's that, there's that looking over your shoulder, not sure if the people are actually trying to be friendly to you or if they're just saying something nice to you now so that they can talk behind your back mm-hmm. later. Yep. Um, and that's, I feel like that, that exists in a lot of different groups. Um, so when I came to Derby, I was a little wary. Like I've, I really haven't had a lot of female friends my entire life. Um, just because of the the stuff that I did and coming to Derby was a complete 180 in that respect because everyone was so, so friendly and welcoming and supportive. And it's like someone new comes into your scene and it's not, Oh, who's this girl? It's, Oh my gosh, you know how to skate where did you come from? You came from San Francisco. Do you, you know, this, that's really cool. Whoa. What did you do? Like that move is really neat. Um, we've never seen that move before. Let's, let's talk about that. Um, you, where are you living? Are you living in Somerville? Are you living in Cambridge? Are you living in Boston? Are you living in JP? Like the, these girls instantly, not necessarily, it's not the like, let's be buddies, but it's very much a let's, let's make you feel at home and welcome in this space. Let's, uh, let's make sure that you're having the most fun that you can possibly have. Um, and that you're really going to be a part of our, our community, which is just, it's, it's so special. Mm -hmm. I feel like there, there really aren't that many places where women especially can feel like they can walk into something that's completely foreign to them, even if they're bad at it, Mm -hmm. you know, like we, I feel like we cheer the hardest for the girls who have the toughest time where it's like, we've had, we've had ladies come in who are 330 pounds, you know, who have never put on roller skates before, who really, really find something special in the sport. And they, you know, they may spend months and years in our training program and they, you know, they may never get to a home team, but the little, the little bit of, you know, the, the, the little bit of improvement that they make day, like week after week, year after year, um, you can see it and it's visible and they can see it, you know, and they don't like, it's not about, Oh, you can't do a hockey stop. I'm sorry. You're gone now. It's just, all right, you're, you're having trouble working on this. Let's, uh, let's make this work. Let's, uh, let's break it down and see what we can do to help you and, and, and help you get what you need out of this sport. Um, as, it's, it's just so welcoming. I, I think it's, it's a really, really special place. It's, um, as I'm hearing you talk, it's, this is a conversation that's resonating with me a lot right now because, um, I started my current job in April, um, and the company I work for is based out of Toronto. So I have never met any of my coworkers. Um, I've never met my boss, you know, I'm, um, I'm home. I work from home. I have a home office. Um, my husband also works from home and he has his own office. And so we're very insular. We're very insulated. And I've talked on the show about, you know, I want to get more involved in the Phoenix tech community in the the new year because I've kind of lost a sense of community. I worked at my last job for, I think, five or six years. And there's kind of this, this piece of um, camaraderie and community that I'm missing. And and I'm actually like standing here thinking, well, maybe I should contact, you know, find out, you know, work my connections in Phoenix and, and talk to the people at the roller derby here because it sounds like exactly what I want. And, and you talked about, you know, not having a lot of female friends because of, you know, just 
your interests growing up. And that's the same for me. I always had, you know, male friends. And um, I'm really, really thinking about like picking up the phone or, or emailing because um, I'm kind of in that not not lost place, but I'm kind of lonely. Um, mm-hmm. And I've got a lot of friends on the internet, but it's not quite the same as seeing familiar faces on a frequent basis. Yeah. No, I know exactly what you mean, where it's like, there's there's only so many hours in the day that you can turn to Twitter and be like, fill this void in my heart. I just want a hug from a, from a friend. Right. <laughs> Um, it's, it's, it's crazy. I really, I I would definitely encourage you to, to, to go, even if it's just like going to go see a game or like volunteering for, for one of their, one of their bouts, that's a great way to sort of get started. Um, and just kind of poke your, your nose around. Like the one thing about Derby is like, there's a little bit of a financial investment where you have to spend a couple hundred bucks to get the gear, um, that you need to like to start skating. But it's, yeah, it really is just a, it's such a great experience for, for people who do feel like a little bit, a little bit lost, a little bit lonely, a little bit, you know, not, not having a, not having a people in your, in your local community. Um, and I, like for me, some of the, some, some of the best people I've met, um, have been since I left college in, in Derby. Um, and I've made so many friends around the world too. That's the crazy thing is like, I have, I have friends now who are in Australia, who are in Colombia, who are wow. in Europe, um, just by virtue of like meeting them at a tournament and being like, Oh, Hey, you do this. I do this. This is really cool. Um, and, and especially when you find out, you know, I said before, there are folks from, you know, all kinds of, um, environments and, and industries, like we have a, a bunch of teachers in Boston's league for, for whatever reason, it's just, it's teacher central. Um, but we also have like filmmakers and we've got a couple people who are in different areas of tech, which when I found that out, I thought it was really cool. It's like, there are people who work at Zipcar and there are people who work at like some of the startups in, in, uh, in near MIT. It's so being able to be like, Oh, I have a, I can have a connection with you outside of skating too. And we can talk like, other kinds of nerdy stuff. One mm. of my very, very good friends um, in the derby scene, she's a, a unparalleled geek, and we've had lots and lots of very deep conversations about like books and Neil Gaiman and and various things. And I'm like, and and other friends I do like I have game nights with, and it's like it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with roller derby, but they're they're really awesome people, and they're mm. people I wouldn't have otherwise met because it's like. Oh, you live in Newton. I'm never like, I would never be in Newton if not for, (laughs) you know, it's like, I'm, I would never meet you. You work in a completely different field than I do. But once we like, we met over this common goal and now we're, now we're buds. It's like, it's, it's, it's just so cool. It's a, it's a great unifier and it's a really fun sport. It's so much fun. It's like, I don't know if it's necessary fun to watch right now because I, we keep on, you know, it's still, it's modern roller derby is only, um, 11, 12 years in the remaking. It started, um, it started in 2001, um, 2001, I want to say 2002 with the Texas roller girls doing sort of a flat track version of, uh, of bank track roller derby, which at, at that point had become more spectacle than sport and very staged. And the Texas roller girls were like, well, we want something to do, uh, but we don't want it to be fake. Uh, and we want to have fun and we want to be able to do it without a lot of upfront cost. We want it to be DIY. So you, you really only need like a couple hundred bucks for gear and a couple hundred bucks for tape. And that's, uh, and that's, that's all you, that's all you need to, to set up a game. Uh, so while we've, you know, it's, it's been a learning process trying to, to build the sport and really make people see again, it's the, like, we are real athletes and we're not, no, we're not those people on, on TV in the eighties who like took punches and like threw elbows. Like there are, there are rules and there are penalties and, and there are legal things that you cannot do. Um, so it's like in that process. I don't know necessarily that it's the most exciting sport in the world to watch for, for newcomers, but I will say it's an incredibly intellectual sport. And it's like for people who really like sort of the offense defense balance, roller derby has constant offense defense at the same time, always. Um, And that's really, really exciting to watch as soon as you know, 
sort of you, you figure out the basic positions like being able to be like oh she just did an offensive clear for her point scorer and then immediately went back and blocked the other the the opposing point scorer by doing this and that's really cool so it's 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 kind of a sport for nerds in that way <laughs> you know it's a it's a very it's a you can definitely nerd out a lot over derby <laughs> So what are the rules? Because I'm standing here and I realize that I don't really know how any of this works. You know, when, you know, I see five second clips of um, of people skating and elbowing and, you know, blocking <laughs> each other, but I don't really know what's going on. So is there a way to verbally describe that so that people can like go and and see those really basic moves? Absolutely. So um, the first thing I would suggest is uh, the women's organization that runs the sport, the WFTDA, has a great sort of roller derby 101. Both They have a how-to video that's really awesome and a resources page, which I recommend for anybody who's interested in sort of learning about it. Um, to give you sort of like the TLDR version, um, roller derby's played um, in 30-minute halves, um, each of which is broken up into two up to two-minute uh, things called jams. Within those jams, there are 10 people on the track at any one time, uh, five people from each team. Four of those people are called blockers, and it's their job to help their fifth person, the jammer, get through the track, through the pack, which is made up of those eight people, four from each team. Um, and every time those jammers lap the pack, they go around the oval and uh, pass members of the opposing team. They get a point for each member of the opposing team that they pass. So when you start, um, when you start a jam, you start with the eight members of the pack in front of a line and the two jammers behind a line and form, you know, the, your team, basically their job is to help their jammer get through and also prevent the other jammer from getting through and scoring. Um, and so those jammers, basically their goal is to try and push their way, dance, jump, twirl their way through the pack, uh, so that they can get out on their initial pass and then score points by passing hips from the opposing jammers. And they can make as many laps as they want, um, or can before <laughs> either two minutes is up or the first person who gets out of the pack, the first jammer gets awarded the title lead jammer. And that allows them to call off basically to end the jam at any time. Um, so if, uh, if say team A's jammer gets out first and is declared lead and team B's jammer comes up, you know, hot on her heels, team A's jammer can like try and dart through as many people in the pack as she can and then call it off by tapping her hands on her hips before team B's jammer can get through and score. Both jammers are eligible to score at any time, which makes it really exciting because jammers can steal points, you know, even though the other team is, is lead, um, blockers can, can do crazy things like run, run up ahead to try and prevent their opposing jammer from scoring. Um, there's just, there's a lot of, of really, really cool, uh, cool moves, cool strategies, cool ideas that people are using to, to keep scoring happening, prevent scoring, keep low scoring games. And then there are penalties, of course. Um, the big thing I think with modern roller derby that people don't quite get because they the elbows thing comes up a lot the only legal places to to hit somebody or the only the only legal hits that you can deliver are shoulder hits hip hits and butt hits so you can't elbow somebody you can't shove somebody you can't kick somebody you can't knee somebody you can't trip somebody it's all um positional blocking with the occasional hip hit or shoulder thrust or things like that um, so there are those kind of penalties that, uh, that if you commit them, you go sit in a penalty box for 30 seconds. So there's a, there's a strong disadvantage, you know, disinclination right. to, to commit those. Uh, but yeah, it's like, it's, uh, I feel like the basics of roller derby are pretty easy to understand once you get kind of the idea of like, okay, the person with the star on her helmet is a jammer and she scores points. And the people who don't have stars on their helmets are the blockers and, Usually they're different colors so that you can tell which blocker is on which team. Um, but, but the nuance of roller derby, that's something that takes a couple games and some, some more watching to, to really discover. And that's, that's what I find really fascinating about it. I ended up doing sort of a, um, a project last year called, uh, roller derby junkies where, you know, gifts were coming back into, into fashion. And I, um, 
I took all of the footage from last year's championship games, which are really, really high level games. Um, and I was basically highlighting moves that either I thought were really cool or strategies I thought were really effective or just jammers being fancy. Um, <laughs> and I turned those into gifts and I put them on Tumblr and I was just kind of like, well, you know, I don't really know if anybody else is going to get any of use out of these, but I think they're awesome. And like, it gives me an excuse to watch a lot of derby footage and within three months, I had gotten over 10,000 Tumblr followers, and I still have people who are like, you have no idea how big of a resource this is at, like, developing leagues and, like, overseas, and that, that was Neat. so cool to me, right? And so, like, all I really wanted to do was just show people why I love the sport that I do and be like, oh, here's, here's an example of a legal really cool hit, or here's an example of, like, a really cool strategy people are doing, uh, and it turned out to be helpful not only for people outside roller derby, but inside the roller derby community. Wow. I love it. So, <laughs> so I'm listening to you talk, and and it sounds like I think um, you've got to have a lot of situational awareness to be able to yeah. do that. Like, especially, especially, maybe that's not even, <laughs> if you're that lead <laughs> jammer, like not only are you trying to still score points, but you've got to really be aware of what the opposing jammers doing right mm -hmm. like and i'm trying to imagine doing that with you know eight other people trying to impede my progress and you know like presumably like a crowd cheering and <laughs> you kind of have to you were talking about the the zone earlier and i imagine you really have to just just being on that track you have to be able to enter that to be able to do anything because otherwise you're going to be really overwhelmed <laughs> Yeah, the, I remember the first time that I ever was in a roller derby scrimmage, and I feel like the first six months that you're in derby, it's very much the deer in the headlights. What is going on? What am I doing? Um, but you occasionally, even in that like fugue state where you're just you're terrified, you do one or two amazing things, and you get that rush of like, oh, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And as time goes on, you get more and more of those moments and fewer and fewer duh moments <laughs> until until you get into a point where you're like, yeah, I feel confident on this track. I feel good on this track. I can take down people and like play a good sport. So it's a it's definitely a learning process. Definitely yeah. a learning process. And when I like I I had kind of a, a strange in, introduction to the sport itself because I told you like I I was um practicing as part of the league with uh, with San Francisco for a couple months, but I left before I ever played a game. So when I got to Boston, I was immediately teamed and then expected to play a game a week later. So I Ooh. went from being like this person who played a couple scrimmages and felt like confident on our skates, but, but had never been in a in a stage environment before where all of a sudden there's like that it's dark and there's people cheering and people expecting me to do things. And I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> am I going to be able to do this? I'm freaking out. But once you get on the track, it's yeah, you, you do get into kind of this zone. Um, and on top of that, I felt like in a, in a weird way, Derby reminds me a lot of, of theater, not in the, again, not in the performance aspect, but you do, take on a heightened person, not, not even personality, but you take on a heightened state. Um, and everything you do is being watched. Um, and whether you realize that consciously or not. And I do think that, you know, that, that does help some skaters sort of get up a little bit taller and stand up a little bit straighter and, and hit a little bit harder than they would normally. Um, and I, I think that's really powerful, you know, not get being on stage, being in front of people. That's, that's not a thing that we do anymore as mm -hmm. a society much, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan and we'll get you know a little bit into my, my geeky theater side. Um, rhetoric is one of my sort of secret passions, um, old school rhetoric, rhetoric, you know, Socrates and Plato yeah, and the like, the yeah. Ancients, yeah, exactly. With the idea that your speech has meaning and your speech is powerful and you can use words to incite actions, which I think we've all, we've all seen mm -hmm. examples of that. And, you know, you, you, you get the, the speeches of the greats that can be quoted and you get speeches even from this century. Um, and until, you know, until the beginning of this century that was taught in schools and people were regularly expected to get up in front of, um, their, their peers and, give speeches and be critiqued on the way that their words formed and how they could build a better argument. 
and that has largely disappeared from from schools and extracurriculars. You know, you, you mm-hmm. get the occasional debate program, the occasional theater program, but it's not insisted upon in a way that it used to be. Um, and people can say, oh, well, it's it's hoity-toity stuff. And when will I ever need to be on stage? And maybe that but then maybe that's the point. You know, it's like even if you're you're going to have a career that never where you never expect to be on stage there's something electrifying about doing it mm-hmm. and about learning how to function while you do it you know you you may not be an amazing public speaker you may never want to be an amazing public speaker getting in front of people may make you want to vomit but doing it and being being not even forced but like learning the skills that it takes to craft an effective argument and be in front of people, not just one person, but be in front of people and being able to learn the skills to captivate a room or to call people to attention. I feel like those are very, very vital skills for just humanity in general. Um, even, even if you don't use them often, it's an experience that I kind of feel like needs to be had by people. So in, in some ways, you know, Derby gives you that experience, not necessarily from a word speaking point of view, but you are from a movement point of view, you're, you're figuring out what movements you can do Mm -hmm. that can captivate the attention of a room, you know, that can, that can make people cheer, that can make people gasp, that can make people clap. It's, it's a different form of rhetoric wield rhetoric. (laughs) That's an interesting way to think about it that I hadn't considered, though, because I do think it's very much, um, you know, previous to this conversation, I would have thought, well, yeah, it's a performance. It's, you know, football is a performance. That's just, you know, what it is, whether you want to think about it that way or not. But, you know, I imagine that there's a lot you can learn about. Well, surely there's a lot you can learn about, like your teammates and your opponents by just watching them. And it's mm-hmm. the same as, you know, watching them on stage, the same, you know, we speak with our bodies. Exactly. It's, you can, you can study so much about somebody based on the way they move, the way they speak, the way they act, um, both, both on and off the stage or the track. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really do think that's interesting and something very fascinating, you know, on the internet, you take this to a different, a different perspective, right? On the internet, no one knows your dog. On the internet, you're judged solely by the words that you put forth. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's almost, in some ways, it's a return to that podium style because you are seeing if you can captivate a void, basically. You're inviting a void to come look upon you and say, here, look, look, you mighty in despair, you know, like, if are my tweets funny enough to captivate your attention? Are they? Are they? (laughs) Will someone please retweet me? Yeah, exactly. Please, I only want one favorite to make my life happy. <laughs> yeah, I just I just think it's interesting. You know, we even even the people who don't really crave public attention, we we find it in certain ways. We do certain things. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I never I never really like put it out consciously like, "Hey, this this makes sense." But no, like there have been so many studies on how we, you know, we are social creatures and we need other people to survive. Even, even loners, you know, just because you're a loner doesn't mean you don't need people. It just means that you prefer your own company, you know, and more you still occasionally. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. You still occasionally need people. Um, you need company besides yourself unless you, you really want to go insane. But, but, you know, there's, there's that connection. Right. And I, I, I kind of feel like, the on-stage connection is a is a logical leap is a connect is a connection in of itself to that idea that mm-hmm. we we fundamentally are a social species. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm still processing and thinking. Um, yeah, deep thought of the day. It is, but you know, and and as you were talking about rhetoric, I was also thinking about how, like as you said, these kind of public speaking programs, um, learning how to debate, learning how to effectively communicate a point, learning how to rally people and how that's not something that, you know, we do anymore. Um, something that I've been saying a lot lately, especially over the last few months is like words are so important. You know, you get, I have been in arguments with people online over a single word that they have chosen to use to like depict women and Mm -hmm. it's just a word why are you so upsetting it's just a word well 
because words matter. The way we communicate is fundamental to like our survival as a species. And yeah, I can get upset over this one word you chose to use that's like derogatory and demeaning. And I think that we don't we don't teach people that anymore. Yeah, there's a there's a lack of understanding, conscious understanding, I want to say, because I really don't a lot of the people and I I have to remind myself about this when I see really stupid people on the internet where it's like people I think a lot of times don't consciously realize that the words that they're using matter and hurt. Mm-hmm. Um they're just they're saying what they feel off the cuff, right? They're like oh, well, this is dumb because you shouldn't get mad about this or, you know, ethics and game journalism. (laughs) Um, The thing for me is like, I don't, I don't know how we educate those people other than by trying to have balanced conversations and trying to be like, you know, it's not, it's not that your viewpoints are wrong per se. It's that you're just, you're, you're closing off you're closing off what other the looking at a perspective or looking at things from a different perspective and you may not be consciously closing that off that may not be something that you that you know you're doing um but here's you know here's an example here are ways and like some some people recognize this and and you know i've i've had conversations with with guy friends of mine about you know I hate the women in technology problem. I hate it so much. I hate it. Like I hate it, Mm -hmm. but, um, but it does exist. And Mm -hmm. as much as I hate talking about it, sometimes it needs to be talked about. And, um, and having that, those discussions and being able to talk rationally with people, even people you just like (laughs) are so mad at because of the Mm -hmm. words they use. Some, sometimes you can get a positive result out of that. Sometimes those people are conscious jerks right there's nothing there's nothing that can be done about that yeah and it's it's been my my constant struggle over the years of being on the figure out which people sort of not be open-minded but be like be patient i think patience is the right word trust that these people want to talk their their words may just not be the the words that they um they should be using or they, they they don't know how to use better words yeah And I think this is where, you know, tools like Twitter are really detrimental because, you know, and I love me some Twitter. I'm, I'm, (laughs) I'm on there a lot and I actually had to like limit myself. So I'm like, okay, I count 15 tweets a day, (laughs) like (laughs) replies not included. So I, I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm pretty prolific, but, um, but you know, it's so hard and especially since that's where a lot of what I'm seeing, like this negative stuff I'm seeing is happening. It's so hard in 140 characters to have a, a discussion or even a debate with somebody because you just, you know, that's what it's designed to be is short, succinct. And that's a lot of this is so nuanced or, you know, the other person or maybe me, we're so far afield from one another that it takes more to mm-hmm. to communicate well we've lost the ability to be to use brevity in our words you yeah. know we've we it, you, i i don't want to be like oh the glorious old days but you know the going back to rhetoric the way that people were taught both to write and to speak they were all formulas you know it's various you know you use you use metaphors in these ways to provoke these responses and these feelings um and if you're and if you're writing and talking to someone else who's also been schooled in rhetoric it's one of those things where it's like i know what you're doing and (laughs) i can i can respond in turn and we can we can agree to disagree about how you're you you know how you're Mm -hmm. communicating but like there was a there there was a translation Right. Where you you understood where the other person was coming from on a word like it would be like speaking foreign languages. Right. Where I may speak Canadian French and you may speak uh, native French, but we still basically know what the other person is saying and we can communicate. And sometimes talking to folks on the Internet, it feels like I'm speaking French and you're speaking Cantonese. Mm -hmm. And it's like there's no way to translate. And you can you can go step by step and be like all right, well, this word, then 
let's try and translate it into a mutual neutral language and then maybe get it back over to Cantonese and vice versa. But it takes so many more steps because we just don't have the common tools anymore. We just, we, language is so nuanced Mm -hmm. and so, so varied that, um, that sometimes, you know, you, you can say, oh, I'm just, this is my idea. Why don't you understand my idea? My idea is simple. It's like, well, because you're, I, I just, I, I don't understand the words you're using to describe your idea. Wait, what? Yeah. 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 Okay. So I want to switch gears if that's okay, because yeah. um, the reason I know about you is actually not from Macworld, um, geeky as I am. It's <laughs> from listening to the Incomparable podcast. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Which I love. Um and I wanted to actually talk to you about how you used your background in theater to create um, or to have, I, I think, a, a strong hand in um, helping the incomparable radio theater episodes come to life because they delight me more than I can convey. Like, I just, I listen to them and I re-listen to them and I just think they're absolutely delightful. But I was wondering what what is it like to kind of take part of that that I don't know training and passion that you had and apply it to this you know your new life in tech and you know how how is that and what does it feel like? <laughs> well, first of all, um, that makes me so happy when you say those things about the about the shows because the the radio theater really was a passion project it was a it was jason snell me and and um uh, our friend david lore who's now a pretty regular mm-hmm. guest on the show yeah. uh basically saying you know it would be funny let's do just just for kicks you want to just do a radio play that'll be easy <laughs> yeah well so okay so get down um I actually have a background in radio theater, which is to mm. say that one of my, um, the college that I went to allowed you to kind of do various thesis projects as part of your, um, your graduation and your major. And I spent a year focusing on radio theater, um, with an emphasis in older shows and, uh, sort of rewriting older shows to, uh, to conform to modern audiences. So I did a, a variety of recordings, including a, uh, a shortened one act 50 minute version of the Tempest for radio, um, and an updated version of, uh, war of the worlds and an updated version of Antigone. So I was, you know, I had, I had background both in recording, uh, recording the shows, directing shows, picking actors and voice actors, um, and doing a little bit of modulation, Jason has been editing so many podcasts for so many years that he had sort of the engineering, not quite engineering experience, but you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he, he had the garage band and logic experience <laughs> to put the whole thing together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did too, but he's, he's much more efficient than I, the edit than I am. I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. And David Lohr is one of the most prolific playwrights I have ever met. Oh, and he's um, so good. He's so good. Well, he, what I appreciate about David, and I said this on Mike's show as well, is like he takes an idea and he really sinks his teeth into it. So if we like to give you an example from like the, the Christmas show, the, the Christmas uh, radio play episode, we did our Doctor Who spoof, which is, you know, terrifying tales of, or two-fisted tales of Tesla. Um, that could have very, very easily just been kind of a like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, we're referencing Doctor Who, aren't we clever? And then moving forward. And David was like, no, 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 (laughs) I don't want to just reference Doctor Who. I want to live Doctor Who. So he really like, no, he cracks it open. (laughs) And he's like, this obscure thing that no one except for people who will, you know, who have watched the original Doctor Who from like 1980, 1970, whatever, like that... I'm going to put in a joke just for them. And I'm going to make these real characters that we really care about. So it goes beyond parody and beyond homage and into really its own thing. And he's done this for so many different styles of radio play. And it really makes me excited because I feel like we're bringing those kind of shows to an audience who's probably never, never heard the old third man serials which are amazing by the way and i highly recommend it orson wells is you know <laughs> orson wells has uh his ups and downs but yeah. he remains one of my favorite 
favorite radio actors of all time. His, his vocal expressions are just, are so fantastic. But, um, I, I don't know. I, I really, I love working with them. And the fact that we were able to get such a, uh, you know, we got, we got very good stuff out of people who had in some cases never really acted before, never really done any kind of, um, nor voice acting. Mm -hmm. And all of this was done remotely with the exception of Dan Warren. Um, all of it was done direction wise remotely. So I was, I would be sitting on a Skype call. The first time we did this, we did like a four or five hour recording session. Um, we did it with like the various people in the various parts, but I was sitting, I'd be sitting at my microphone basically being like, Okay, so as as David jokes, one more for safety, says Serenity. <laughs> um, I would I would be going have them go over it over and over again and be like, why don't you try emphasizing this word? Um, and why don't you try you know going up on the end of this? And why don't you try <laughs> oh, those <outtakes>. like <laughs> yeah? It was a it was a lot of it was a lot of different experimentation. Mm-hmm. There's an outtake somewhere. Uh, the first time we did Tesla, uh, Glenn has to say, what's that? Yep. And it became parody because the, the, it was the, the smallest little line, um, where it's supposed to be, what's that? Um, and he, for some reason, for some reason, Glenn figured out every other permutation <laughs> of being able to say, what's that without actually pr- placing the emphasis on that. So it'd be like, what's that? What's that? <laughs> that's what and it just it went on for 14 minutes i just yeah. uh, it yeah. cracked me up so it's like there there are uh definitely definitely ups and downs uh to recording remotely um and trying to give direction remotely but i i feel like it like it always turns out so well mm-hmm. um even even though radio by by nature radio plays are kind of like film where sometimes they're done all the way through live in a studio audience kind of thing. And then sometimes they're done in little choppy bits and pieces. And as a radio actor, you have to not only listen to where your pieces should be and react off of those, those actors. So it doesn't just sound like your lines were dropped into a bucket. Um, but you, uh, you have to be able to, to properly, engage yourself in the scene without necessarily having the rest of the people around you to do it. So I'm, it's, uh, (laughs) it's a challenge, but it's one that I really, I really love. I love the medium of, of, uh, audio and, and voice and words surprise. I know (laughs) I've only been talking about it for most of the podcast, but, um, yeah, I, uh, I really, I love doing them and, and there's a rumor that we will be doing more in 2015. I'm going to keep on dropping hints because I can't <laughs> say anything more, but I've, I've heard about this too. So, um, Jason Snell's mom lives about half an hour from my husband and me. So we oh. had lunch with him a few weeks ago and we talked about the, the first episode where, you know, you know, he was like, I went in blind and was, you know, oh yeah, sure. We'll do this. And he was like, I spent <laughs> so much time putting that episode together. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I just, I, I don't know. I can't speak for any of y'all, but I think, <laughs> I think it's worth it as a listener. I, I, I really, I just think they're delightful. I'm so glad. And I, I mean, we love doing them like Jason gripes about, oh, this took me so much time. <laughs> um, but the, the end result is, is so happy making that's like being able to say yeah we we put out three hours worth of radio play material um and it it sounds semi-professional and we Mm. are people who by and large i think we have two two audio theatrical professionals amidst us of the entire group and then some people who have done radio before and some people who've done theater before um so it's like from a from a mishmash like we 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 put together what I think is a pretty professional, pretty, uh, pretty polished product. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Also, I, I just love that. It's like in my professional life, when I was doing radio plays in college, never did I ever expect that I would be able to, uh, do this as part of my, you know, my career. And it's not like we get paid for this, but you know what I mean? Like right. it's, this is something that I consider part of my career and part of who I am on the online and everything else. And to be able to have that, 
to have to have that around is is pretty pretty neat. I'm so happy for you because you know, I'm I'm listening to you talk and you are just so like there's so much joy in your voice as you're talking mm-hmm. about roller derby and you know the radio shows and I'm I'm really glad for you that you um that you have those things that you can draw on. Thank you. I I I am too. It took a while. <laughs> it really did, but uh but it is there is something to be said about finding that finding the things that pa- you're passionate about and that inspire you. I think that was the that was the real trick for me, especially being in the the tech community and everything else is like yeah, it's not always the it's not always the easiest road. Um, you do have to fight a little bit harder, but if you find things that you really care about and you you put passion into your projects, they will turn out well because you, it's hard for something that you put passion and energy into to be a complete failure. Mm-hmm. Like it's either a learning experience or it's a success. And you know, even even if it feels like a complete failure it will help you in the future and it will help you get to, to where you want to be. If you remember that like a failure from passion does not necessarily mean that you should extinguish all passion and never, never have passion again. Cause I definitely went through that where it was like complete failure and being like, well, should I ever try again? <laughs> well, and that's, that's the hard part about learning how to fail because I, I think you have to learn how to fail and you have to do it more than once to learn how to do it. And it's just heart-wrenching. It is. It really is. It is like, it doesn't, it doesn't get easier, but it, you do remember, like, I've done this before and my life was not over. I persevered. I got through this and it made everything that I've done since so much stronger. Wow. Well, we're close to an hour. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about today? Um... I am working on an EP and that's kind of fun. I haven't done music in a very long time. And that's, that's been sort of like an on again, off again hobby. I've been writing songs for like 15 years now oh. at this point. Like I started, I started writing really early and they were all really terrible. Like no one, no one should ever really be able to publish your, your songs. We wrote when you were 18, unless you're Taylor Swift, I guess, but, uh, <laughs> well, and even special then. cases. Yeah, exactly. Even then I'm sure Taylor looks back on the music she wrote when she was 16 and was like, Oh God, why did I ever right. put that out into the public <laughs> eye? So, but I've been working on a, 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 a 10 track, uh, album for a little bit that has like, it's been a five or six year in progress kind of thing mm-hmm. where I like have just been slowly writing songs for it. Um, but I came up, I came up with a title for the EP before I ever wrote any songs. It was called 50,000 ways to say you're sorry. And I don't know why that like it's stuck in my head. And, um, it's, it's been, it's been a really fun project as somebody who like my parents are both classical musicians and I've, you know, I've had very little formal training, but I, I, I doodle a lot on guitar and piano and it's been, it's been a fun venture into a world I don't normally dabble in and a world that, um, like learning, learning new things about audio recording where, mm. you know, I, I've focused a lot on audio recording voice, but I, I, I know very little about audio recording music, um, or composing, composing for more than one or two voices and a guitar, like being able to be like, all right, I have to compose for like drums and harmonies and different instruments. And it's just, it's, it's been a fun little side project. It's not something that's, it's taking up like 10% of my time right now. It's not a huge venture, but I like that I'm making progress on it. And like, I recorded a a bunch of demos uh, last month and I was really excited to be able to like, listen to the album in full as just like super rough, raw material. I was like, this is, this is really cool. This is, this is different. This is not just like one off song. This is like, Hey, this, this kind of tells a story and flows. Oh, nice. So you're, are you doing it all? Are you going to, are you going to bring people in to help you produce it or have you decided yet? I would love to, yeah, I would love to bring people in. It's more of a, like, I want it to be a passion. Like I'm, I'm doing it just to do it and Mm -hmm. I don't really want to make money off of it. So it's hard to justify being like, I'm going to spend all of this money, but I would, but I would totally bring in like friends and, and stuff like that, um, to, to help me because I definitely like, I'm not, 
<laughs> I'm I this is I'm out of my depth. I'm way out of my depth. I've already <laughs> asked for help being like, "Hey, can you listen to these? Can you tell me what I'm missing? What what's going on?" <laughs> <laughs> That's good though. I mean, it's um challenges are good. Yeah. Challenges are yeah. good. Yeah. I love I love dabbling in things I know nothing about because mm-hmm. it's a learning experience and it's like if nothing else I will come out of this being like well this is something new that I know how to do and uh and it might come in handy down the line I mean who knows we might do a musical episode so oh my gosh I would I would pay I would pay <laughs> okay well serenity how can people find you on the internet they can find me on the internet uh at imore.com in my daily duties and then also pretty much everywhere socially at a, at s-e-t-t-e-r-n saturn um where i'm on twitter and instagram and tumblr and all the various things actually on tumblr i'm many hats at tum- dot tumblr.com for good reason it's gonna be like yes <laughs> well i've had so much fun talking to you thank you so much for coming on the show absolutely thank you so much for having me this was this was really a blast and you should definitely go check out a, a roller derby game yeah i i think i will um make that one of my goals for january 2015 (gasps) possibilities yes so close exciting and 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 terrifying all at once Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) a lot of firsts for me next year so we'll see oh boy yeah fingers crossed yeah it'll be great (laughs) thanks serenity absolutely you can find the show on twitter at less than or equal if you have feedback suggestions for guests or would like to be a guest, please go to lessthanorequal.com and fill out the contact form. If you have a few minutes, I'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening. Until next time, on an internet near you, I'm Aline Sims for Less Than or Equal.